Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 138, Flight Plan Fear, Dead Reckoning Legs, and more coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Well, hello, folks. My name is Carl Belair. I'll be your host this evening. I'm here with, uh, well, Larry Overstreet and uh, Russ Wozleski and Tom Frick. Welcome, guys. Yeah, hi, Carl. Evening, Carl. Well, gosh, you know, we are, we're missing a few people. One of them is actually in the midst of a snowstorm, and that's Rick Felty. Uh, you know, good luck to Rick with shoveling off uh, all that snow in that area. He's right there in the in the Boston area. It's getting hit right now as we record this podcast. I know uh, where I was in New Jersey, uh, it was actually getting a lot of snow. Luckily, I got out and uh, was able to miss all the snow that's happened up north. But we have yeah, a couple it's of topics. It's going to be 84 degrees here oh, uh, in Oklahoma kidding. on Saturday, so uh, I, I do feel for you, Rick. Really. Wow. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, Rick, he he uh, he's actually in that that belt right now that's getting hammered. I was just looking at it on the Weather Channel, and and now here I am. I've went outside. I was in shorts and a t-shirt hanging out on the dock today. Uh, but we are coming up on that season where that happens. We get these extreme changes in temperature, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Getting back into aviation after being out for a little while. Uh, but uh, anyway, I know that uh, before we get started, uh, quick. Uh, mentioned from our sponsor and of course our sponsor this evening is aviationcareerspodcast.com and their coaching services that we have there we have four different coaches and you can sign up to get some help on what career path you should take also interview preparation and resume review and cover letter review go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching let's do the pre-flight couple announcements here i know that a couple of people have uh, written to me and said hey what happened to the website uh, we had, uh, and I really appreciate everybody listening, and thanks so much for going to the website, but we unfortunately are we using up too many resources. I probably, and I'm going to take this the hit for this one, I probably should have noticed this before because of all the downloads lately that we've had on Stuck Mike in the past few months. It kind of brought the server to the knees. Uh, so I've actually upgraded the server, and what happened when I've upgraded it, it took a while to, to migrate everything there. And I have, <laughs> you can tell in my voice, I'm a little bit tired. I've had a lot of sleepless nights just trying to get things up and running and cleaning the server, and uh, we had a lot of files and, and stuff that we had to kind of move around. So uh, thanks for all <laughs> all your the listeners out there. But, uh, you know, by doing that, it kind of kind of slowed things down, down a little bit there. But uh, anyway, we are here and uh, everything's running fine. So you can go to stuckmikeavcast.com. And by the way, if you want to write into this show, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, you can also go to contact at stuckmikeavcast.com. We also have an email, stuckmikeavcast.com. Uh, at gmail.com. You can write into us. 
If you have shout outs, we love to do shout outs and mention people. By the way, normally what we'll do is if you do mention your name, we normally take that out. You have to specifically tell us to actually read your name, but we will give uh, first names out, especially if you do a shout out. And uh, if you do a shout out and they uh, have, uh, you get permission from the person, we will uh, shout out their whole name. Now entering cruise flight. So let me start with a listener mail and a shout out. And this is really cool. He starts with, hey, all, love your show and listen to it in the car to put a smile on my face while stuck in traffic here in Los Angeles. I've been a private pilot for two years and fly out of Whiteman Airport. Love hearing you guys talk about IFR procedures and tricky approaches as that's my next step. More importantly, somehow my girlfriend caught the flying bug from me and started flight training two months ago. She's since joined the San Fernando Valley chapter of the 99s. So big shout out to the 99s uh, for being a great group, he says. She was the lucky winner of the 99s Fly Now Scholarship and soloed Sunday on January 8th, 2017 in the afternoon. I'm so proud of her and can't wait for the flying adventures we're going to have. There's already talk of flying to Air Adventure. Wow. And in all the excitement, he writes this back actually later. He forgot to mention her name in the shout-out. He puts a palm in his face, as he says in there. It's uh, Kimberly from San Fernando Valley, 99s. Well, Kimberly, congratulations on the solo, and congratulations on the scholarship. And uh, that's a wonderful, wonderful achievement. Isn't that so cool that the two of them are now able to get together and share this passion? And she's become passionate about flying, too, it sounds like. So I'm very excited. That is fantastic. We hope to see you at Oshkosh, definitely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit. Anders, Kimberly, look at this up. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know now, Larry, you'll be there. Uh, Russ will be there. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll be there. And I think, and definitely Tom, I think you'll be there too, right? Yep, I'll and, be there as well. And I always make the same excuse every single year. And it's not, it's it's a crazy time of the year for us flying at work. And I'm going to try so hard to get there this year. I unfortunately wasn't able to hold uh, that week off for vacation. I'm not senior enough, but I'm going to see what I can do as far as moving my schedule around and, and try to get out there. But uh, a bunch of us will be out there. And, and if I'm out there, uh, we're going to try to do something live this year. From uh, from Air Venture, we're going to figure out how to put that together. I'm going to have to rely on, hey, on Larry and Tom. Yes, maybe, maybe you should just dial in 7500 and fly direct Oshkosh. Uh, yeah, they frown on that actually. Um, you could do it once. Yeah, probably that'd be the last last flight of my career. As a matter of fact, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've actually flown over Air Venture twice, uh, but never actually landed. And it, it was uh, looked pretty cool from the air, though. I will say that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's it, even it, cooler from the ground. <clears throat> I know you're. I knew Larry's going to say that. I really miss you know I, all the camaraderie, and it's really about the people, isn't it, Larry? And absolutely, the, it, it, there's there's nothing like going back and seeing your friends. You know that you get to see once or twice a year, maybe at an air show. You know, Oshkosh and Sun and Fun, or Oshkosh and some other air show that you go to, uh, and you know, catching up and telling aviation stories, and you know, swapping stories about what you found at the fly market or what you found at a vendor tent or you know which airplane you'd like to buy if money were no object. So it's really the people that make it fun. Yes, it sure is. Well, again, uh, congratulations to to Kim and also for uh, remember we do have at Aviation Careers Podcast we have a scholarships guide and this is one of the ones that's in that scholarships guide so check it out there at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships and there's so many more scholarships out there and you'd be surprised 
Uh, you can get scholarships to do just about anything, new ratings, et cetera, your multi, your instrument, that type of thing. And you don't have to be a certain age or, or class, et cetera. It's, it's available to everybody. Um, anyway, uh, moving on to our next shout-out. Let's see. Our next shout-out is from you, Larry. What is our next shout-out? Yeah, so uh, in his email there a moment ago, Anders was talking about uh, possibly flying into AirVenture. And, um, it, you know, just the, the ability to do that. I've done that before. I know other people have many times more than I have, and it's really a thrill. Um, it, but to be able to do that, uh, somebody has to write the notum. So read the notum for going into Oshkosh. Read the notum for going into Sun and Fun or any other place. But when you get on the ground, somebody is going to be marshalling your aircraft. And when you camp, somebody is going to be you know, taking your camping fee. And somebody else is going to be the air boss. And somebody else is going to be um, you know, at the, at the antique classics and, and, and so forth. And all of these things take time and planning. And um, a lot of us go to Sun and Fun. A lot of us go to Oshkosh. And so we see some of those shows from the inside out. And um, people are already uh, doing their planning and doing their work. And the volunteers are showing up at meetings and making, you know, making plans to be there early and set up or stay there late and tear down. And so I guess my shout out is just to all those volunteers who are out there um, who are planning, organizing, and preparing for safe and exciting air shows and fly-ins for the season, whether it's Oshkosh or Sun and Fun or any of the other great air shows that are across the country. So if you're out there and you're a volunteer at any of these events, you know, thank you. Hats off to you. You're doing a great job, and we look forward to seeing you uh, later this year. Gosh, Larry, thanks for mentioning that because it's amazing what goes on before, during, and after the show. Uh, as you know, all the podcasters there and everybody at the radio stations, they're all volunteers. And big shout-out to Tom Frick for what he does actually at Sun and & Fun. And, uh, boy, I tell you, I think that deck couldn't have been built without uh, some of the heavy lifting, literally heavily lifting uh, by uh, Tom. I'm sure your, your back is still sore from that. Not really, but yeah, uh, well said, Larry, and uh, bravo. Yeah, that was uh, what an awesome shout out, and I couldn't agree uh, more. Yeah, awesome. There are stuff. a few times, there are very few times where I, I don't wish I lived in Florida, uh, but one of those times was when I was watching you guys do all the work on the deck because uh, that looked like it was really hard work. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, and uh, well, moving on from that, uh, don't forget we will be at Sun and Fun, and you can check it out, the link to it uh, on our website. I'm forgetting the actual sun n fun.org is not the one they want us to use anymore, but you can still find it that way. If someone can remember what the new one is, uh, please let me know. Uh, I think it's Sun and Fun Fly, SNF Flying, or something like that. I, but, I think it's I think it's Fly SNF Fly, fly Sun SNF. and Fun. Okay, Fly SNF dot org. Okay, thanks, Larry. Appreciate that. And uh, and yes, volunteers, one and all, you're the best. And a big shout out to everybody. It's uh, it's an amazing thing that they pull off there. Well, guys, that's it for our shout outs. Let's move on to the cruise flight. We got a couple of items here, and uh, one technical, and a, a couple of items that are are kind of philosophical, but are really important in our training. You know. Do you file flight plans when you fly? Uh, say if you're flying IFR, you need to file one usually. And uh, when you're flying a, a VFR, you probably should. I know I do. Even if I'm not going to open the flight plan, I always file a flight plan because I think it's safer. And uh, if I happen to go down, even if I don't open the flight plan, at least I know that people are going to start looking for me along my track of flight. Do you get a briefing every time you fly? And how do you do that? Well, those are questions that I, uh, I had a discussion with somebody who recently said that his flight instructor really didn't go over the flight plans and didn't really file flight plans that often, which, you know, I understand. Doing 
you know, most of your VFR flying, especially at a local airport, you're up there doing maneuvers, etc. But, you know, during cross countries, you're, you really should be uh, following those flight plans. I know I use ForeFlight. Uh, also, I go online and file my flight plan with Duats. Uh, but I, I do definitely get a briefing beforehand, especially uh, for TFRs. One thing I want to know, though, from uh, two of the active CFIs that are here right now, is what is it you do with your initial students as far as filing flight plans, when do you actually introduce that? And do you make them file their flight plans on every flight, on cross countries, or never? So uh, let's start with you, Tom, as far as what is it you do with your, your initial students? So you're right. It, it, I think the flight planning phase starts about the time that we're talking about flight plans and, and uh, getting ready to go cross country. Um, you know, um, different students have taken on different cross country legs and that's the time to start, you know, calling and, and showing them the process of how to get that information. Now, a, a lot of that comes down to at the end of the day, we learn things when we're becoming private pilots and, and to be upfront with the student to tell them how we're going to learn things. Cause we, like you're going to teach them how to do all this calculations on an E6B. That's what they have to do to get their private pilot certificate. But reality says they're probably going to go out and they're going to have some type of digital aid that's going to help them. One of the apps or one of the programs that's going to let them uh, do the flight plan and be able to file it that way. Uh, I agree with you. I like talking to a briefer and, you know, being uh, recorded, if you will, so that, you know, uh, something was stated that there wasn't a TFR or something in the way. And, uh, you know, just basic filing for VFR. Um, you know, VFR flight plans are basically um, for search and rescue, plain and simple. You know, um, a lot of times we'll fly places um, out of a school and we'll let somebody know where we're going. Um, and VFR flight plans are very helpful for people who have a plane that's hangered and they're going to go point A to point B and somebody may not necessarily know that they left for the day and they have a way to go look for them. Um, I agree with you. I, I like to file, even if I'm not going to open up the flight plan, it's still a, a paper trail that should something go wrong that I, they, they know I have a place to start looking for me. So with my students, I try to go through the process of just doing that. Let's, uh, let's create the flight plan. Let's call a briefer. Let's go through the whole process. So they're used to talking to somebody, knowing how to ask the questions, knowing how to answer the questions uh, of all the boxes on the flight plan, and then learning how to um, process the information that the briefer is going to give them. So, you know, one thing I forgot to ask, uh, Tom, is, is how much does it cost to file a flight plan? Oh, it's real expensive. Um, I think it's still nil. It's nothing. It's free. It's nothing. Yep. <laughs> it, it's, it's free. It, it's a, it doesn't it, cost anything else. It's, it's time and it's a phone call. It, it's, it is. And, and boy, it's great insurance, isn't it? Uh, so I think that's a great point. Uh, so thanks for all that. That's that's a, a real interesting that you you said that because I think uh, you said something about the E6B. That's uh, that's a real neat device too. That the batteries never run out of that usually, and uh, you sure. right, most people move on to digital. Absolutely, and and it wasn't uh, you know I'll be honest. I mean I really didn't use an E6B in the plane until I actually started working on my commercial. You know, and and then you'd be flying along and you're on a flight plan and it's like, well, let's see if we can calculate our ground speed. Let's see if we can calculate, you know, which way the winds are coming from, you know, and, and all the different things that you can do with it while you're in the plane. Yeah, I could open up, you know, for flight or garment pilot and go, oh, yeah, look, there's a ground speed. That's how fast the wind's going. But um, still being able to do that manually has a certain charm to it and, and it, it, it's a certain level of comfort because that iPad or whatever, if it's going to die you know, there you are. And if you need that information, you sure be glad when you know you can get it. 
Yeah, good point. And, you know, how many of us had iPads die in flight? You know, I've had it happen a few times, and it's nice to have that backup. So that's a, a great point. You know, Russ, uh, we talked about flight plans and when we introduced them. When, when is it that you introduce uh, flight planning to your initial students? And well, there's not a whole, flight plans. Sorry. Yeah, there's not a whole lot that I can add to what Tom said. I think he's pretty much right on all counts. Um, you know, obviously, when, when we start getting into the cross-country phase, that's when we talk about you know, you know I, we just work through the flight planning, you know, the you know distance and time calculations and fuel and all that. And that just naturally flows itself into the uh, the flight plan itself. And I take them through, yeah, I, I do get at least one phone briefing with with all my students to show them that that you know that is a an option is an avenue to do it, and it's not hard and it's not scary, which I think you know possibly is something maybe uh, maybe influence the uh, the commenter, the the listener that wrote in that he was you know inexperienced with the uh, the flight plans. You know, we kind of fear the unknown, right? So uh, you know, you, you call the briefer, it's another person you're talking to. We do that to show that that's an option. Uh, you know, if they're using. For flight or one of the other EFB programs, I'll show them how to get the same information there and how to file and do all that. Uh, the the great website one eight hundred WX brief that uh, Lockheed Martin Flight Service Station has uh, has um, I don't have it set up for this. I don't I don't think, but um, you can activate your flight plans with text messages and get information that way. So so there's a lot of different options that uh, that have come about in recent years. But I still try to take them through all of it, you know, trying to contact uh, flight service, you know, from the air, trying to, you know, open, you know, activate the flight plan and close it and when you have to do these things and, and that sort of thing. So definitely exposure is the key. Now, you and I and everybody else here knows that, you know, VFR flight plans are probably not filed quite as often as they used to be. Well, there's no probably they're not, um, or, you know, or probably not maybe as often as they should be. Uh, cause well, you know, what do we do? We get flight following a lot, right? We get, you know, I teach all my students to get flight following on any cross country. I think it's a good peace of mind, good extra set of eyes, but you have to realize that flight following is workload permitting. The controller is not required to, uh, to give you that service, those radar advisories, if they're too busy, uh, radar service is spotty in some areas, even, I mean, out here in the, you know, the central U S there are plenty of areas where radar service is spotty below certain altitudes. So they can't provide you service there. So, so VFR flight plan is still a really good idea. Uh, but especially if you're flying around in, you know, in the mountains through, you know, mountain valleys and that kind of stuff, then it becomes even more so important, I think. Interesting. Larry, you had, you had a question about flight planning? Yeah, so uh, a lot of us um, you know, who grew up flying, you know, in the last twenty or thirty or forty years, maybe I won't <laughs> say exactly. Um, so we're all familiar with the the flight plan format. A lot of us have knee boards that have the flight plan format, you know, kind of uh, etched into them or whatever. Um, but there's a new flight plan format from ICAO that's coming out. Um, how how much of a you know old dog new tricks are you going to have to teach to me? Um, when that switch change, uh, takes place, I think it was already supposed to have taken place and then got deferred uh, a bit. But uh, when is that coming, and uh, what changes should I expect? Maybe as a, a seasoned pilot, but someone who's not familiar with that new format. Well, gosh, Larry, that's a that's a great question, and uh, you know I've been using the IKO flight plans for a little while now, and as far as the changes that, that are coming here to the U.S., it's. Um, Honestly, I still do have to do a lot of referencing 
uh, when looking at the flight plan. Luckily, I have somebody file my flight plans for me because I probably would mess it up each time but it's just like anything else you look at it and you're saying oh this ain't so bad you know that you so you have to you have to say to yourself you know how did we learn anything well we just did it repetitively uh there's a lot more information in there i kind of like it uh but it's also it's a little more how shall i say more more information and to me sometimes it seems like a little more cryptic uh, but uh, as far as a date, I don't know the date. That's a great question, Larry, and we're going to have to find that out. Does anybody else know the date? If they do uh, or if they don't, we'll, we'll look that up. But uh, it's, it's not too bad. Uh, it's just I know a good example is, you know, the equipment codes, how sometimes we get confused as far as which equipment codes we need to put on, special equipment codes, et cetera, and uh, our slash on the flight plan. Uh, that's, that's one of the things that, that you can look up on a table. Same thing with the IKO flight plan. You can actually kind of walk through there. Yeah, Carl. The uh, I I don't have the exact date either. I know it's been pushed back a couple of times. But what I've just started doing uh, this, this is more with instrument students. Um, all of them in recent in, in the recent year or two have been using ForeFlight and uh, and on there and I'm sure the other EFPs as well. It's it, it doesn't require even really any thought. You get it kind of set up once, you answer a couple more questions, and then you just turn on IKO flight plan filing, and it just does it automatically. So the, it's it's not quite as uh, as ominous, I guess, as as it first seems when you when you start looking at the form. You do it once for the airplane you're flying, and and there you go. Yeah, I think we sometimes fear because we think we have to fill out all that stuff on our own by memory. But we don't. There's a form as far as the flight plan is concerned now, and there's going to be a form, like you said, in four flight also online. So it's, it really isn't that big of a deal, is it, is it, Russ? No, it's not a big deal at all. It's In fact, once you set up the first time, it's completely transparent. Cool. So no fear there, that's for sure. And, and also, going back to flight plans, uh, you mentioned, I think, Russ, is when we are taking off and after we take off we file our flight plan we open our flight plan that type of thing you get flight following etc there's there is a little bit of fear there too and that fear is usually from the unknown so it's a good idea just to go up if you haven't done it in a while go ahead and open the flight plan and uh, and if you have any issues grab an instructor or grab a friend that flies a lot and uh, and files or opens flight plans and closes them and uh, ask them how do you do this and uh, the other thing too that I think is uh, I had a little bit of difficulty with is remembering to close the flight plan. Uh, so there's got there's a couple of tricks there as far as closing the flight plan. And some people they'll actually do something with their the keys from the airplane and they'll put it. Well, that's what I do. I put it on a finger and I leave it on that finger. And knowing that I don't, I have to leave it there till I close my flight plan. Uh, that's one, and I'm sure there's some other tricks. Uh, the other trick is to have the police come and find you because that'll be the first person to come out to the airport to look for you after <laughs> they start the search and rescue. I'm joking. Don't do that. Uh, I've had that happen. It's incredibly embarrassing. Uh, and, uh, you know, you really you really need to somehow remember that. Most of the bathrooms have signs on the walls. But uh, does anybody else have any other tricks, by the way, before we move on to our next topic, how you remember to close your flight plan? Well, not a trick so much. I mean, I know it's been on a bunch of checklists and such. And if you're doing the checklist, of course, the shutdown checklist is the one everybody tends to not do. But um, but uh, I did confirm that uh, if you have filed the flight plan on the Lockheed Martin website, uh, they have options in your user profile to send you a text that you can use to activate it or to close it. So that's you know pretty easy. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's awesome. So uh, so yeah, don't worry so much about closing it. You'll again you'll you'll be able to remember both by the the little tools and do little tricks for yourself and sign up for the service on Lockheed Martin to have them you know text message you etc. Uh, and actually opening it up in the air, it's just like anything else. It's like flight filing. It's not that big of a deal, and uh, I'm sure you get used to it. So no fear of the flight plans. I know you can do it. Uh, so for the person that, that wrote in and talked about it, you know, it's it's something that, you know, it's like anything else you've done the first time. It's a little scary at first, but once you start doing it, uh, it's easy. Anyway, moving on to our next topic actually is an article that uh, Russ actually wrote on his website, uh, cfirust.blogspot.com, I think it is. And uh, it talks about dead reckoning legs and instrument approach procedures. And it's like, wait a minute, dead reckoning legs and approach procedures? Russ, I didn't know they had dead reckoning legs. They do, and they're actually all over the place. <laughs> it was uh, There were some questions about this, some uh, instrument students I had at the time. I wrote this about a year ago almost. Um, some instrument students and some comments on uh, aviation discussion boards that I'm active on. And the questions were, you know, what are these strange notations on some of these instrument procedures? And well, I knew they were dead reckoning legs. So I started looking for some references on that and really couldn't find much in the way of official references like in the aeronautical information manual or the instrument procedures handbook or anything like that. And I'm not exactly sure why that is because as I started looking through, I found these things all over the place. And this, this obviously wouldn't really be in effect if you're getting vectors to the approach, which we do many places as a matter of course. But what we're talking about here primarily is, well, they're really common on, on ILS procedures. Uh, there are some on VORs as well, but, um, for ILS procedures, if you think about it, where does the localizer signal point? It has to point straight away from the runway, right? That doesn't always neatly coincide with a incoming radial from a VOR or an airway or something that it can attach to the en route structure with. So there has to be a way to get you from somewhere, so you know, and a Victor airway, for example, to this localizer course. And the way that that's done is through these dead reckoning legs. Um, there's there's w- one example I'm looking at here. It actually is a VOR procedure. Um, and the the notation you'll see, you'll see the uh, you know the airway fix, whatever it is, and then you'll see the uh, the final course, and you'll have this other line coming into it at kind of at an angle. Okay, and it'll have a notation like this one says 3100 no PT to the next fixed name. And then it says 246 degrees, 7.9, and 296 degrees, 4.5. Well, that is a lot of numbers and letters there for, for a course. You know, What do we usually have published on, on courses for approaches? We have the altitude, the course, you know, magnetic course, and the distance. Well, what we have on a DR leg is actually two, cor- well, two things that look like courses and two distances. But what they actually are, they're not courses at all, they're headings. So in that case I just read you, you're expected to fly a heading of 246 degrees for 7.9 miles and then turn onto a heading of 296 degrees for 4.5 miles until you intercept the uh, the localizer course or the, the VOR course in the, the next one in this case. Uh, well, as you can imagine, if you're just flying on a heading. Remember, it's just a heading. No wind correction. This is not a GPS track, although if you have a GPS, these are going to be in the database, so that's that's good and really easy to fly. But 
it's a it's just a heading. So two four six degrees, you put it on your on your DG, you fly that magnetic heading until you intercept the uh, the localizer course. You can clearly be fairly well off course by the time you get there if it's a strong wind, and that's true. Uh, fortunately, though, these DR legs are, are very well protected for obstacles. The evaluation area is, is huge and gets wider the further you go from your starting point, which makes sense. Um, but what we see a lot, like I mentioned, is on these localizer procedures, especially in ILSs, sometimes it's not very big. You're, you're just, you have to fly a heading for a mile or two at tops, and then you're, by then you're receiving the localizer and you're, you're happy and you intercept it, right? No big deal. Some of them, though, are, are a significantly bigger distance. I saw a 7.8, and uh, here's an 11.6 miles before you intercept. That's, that's pretty significant. I think the maximum distance is 15 miles, uh, obviously, just to prevent you from getting too far off course. Uh, but like Carl said, uh, there's, there's a write-up. It's not a real long one on the, uh, the website he, he mentioned there, cfirust.blogspot.com. And... Uh, it's pretty quick because it's a reasonably simple topic. I think it's pretty easy to understand with some you know, pictures and such. <laughs> but it's just one that, that we just don't see often in training. And like I said, since there's not really that many official references for it, it's kind of hard to teach. You know, it's interesting, uh, Russ. You know, a lot of these fixes uh, that, that have the dead reckoning leg on there, uh, they are initial approach fixes. And uh, then you intercept Say the localizer, like you were saying, that's pretty uh, pretty ca- common. Uh, but you you also mentioned something else. You know, you, first of all, you said like the the heading, and then the you intercept the localizer, and then there's another distance. So that's the distance, you know, like in a no win situation where it actually uh, m- you'll actually go from that point of intercept to the next point, or in this case, it would be like the initial fix if that was an, the final approach or initial approach fix, the initial fix. But that's kind of, it's kind of interesting because if you think about it, dead reckoning, you know, we, we usually do wind corrections, et cetera. Um, and you mentioned one other thing is that there was these, these other fixes down there in these, these brackets or braces or, or actually, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're like uh, um, uh, parentheses is the word. I think it, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> parentheses. The... When you intercept that fix, or when you fly to that fix, if you have, you said you, if you had like a GPS or an FMS, it would actually be quite accurate, wouldn't it? Because your your system would already put in the wind correction, et cetera, or you could fly directly to that fix if you were doing it hand flying it, I'm assuming. Yeah, there's, there's no question that if you have a GPS or an FMS system, this is going to be a complete non-issue, right? You're going to be able to fly that, uh, you know, in my, the example I was talking about the two, four, six degree, you can just fly that as a track and it'll take you directly to where that plotted course intersects the final approach course. And, it, and it's a piece of cake. The, you'll usually see a fixed name in parentheses. Uh, currently, uh, it, the policy is it starts with the, the first two letters will be Charlie Foxtrot. Uh, as a what's called a computer navigation fix, a CNF, and that's not a fix that uh, you know is you're usually going to use for navigating particularly. It's just in there so that the GPS and FMSs have some place to uh, to direct the system to take you to. I guess would be a good way to word that. Um, it's not something you're usually going to ever pronounce. In fact, they're all consonants. You can't pronounce them anyway, but you could try. But um, 
but that'll just be within the within the avionics itself to help you navigate that. But you're absolutely right. If you have a GPS or FMS, this is this is not an issue. If you don't, however, and I've taught some recent uh, some recent instrument students that, that don't have a GPS, then you are pretty much just flying it, you know, pointing the airplane a certain direction for what you think is a certain amount of time, and hopefully these the, the uh, final approach course comes in by then. And you know, there there is a little bit like actually we were talking about earlier with flight planning and you know estimates of time and distance. Uh, Tom was talking about that. You know, this is you know seven point nine miles. Well, you should have an idea about how long that's going to take you to fly at whatever speed you're flying. If and if you've been flying for twice that long, maybe something's not quite right, right? So so there is a little bit of heads up awareness that needs to go into these DR legs. You know, Ross, I know one question that's probably going to be asked is on these dead reckoning, since it is dead reckoning uh, legs, is it the ex- expectation to fly from the fix to the fix uh, that intercepts, or I should say the intercept to say either the VOR the, or the ILS, is it the expectation to put in some type of a wind correction because it is dead reckoning? In other words, if we know the winds and we know our course, we should know uh, what heading we should fly. Well, the they're designed to account for you not putting in any wind correction, ideally. You know, the worst case scenario, right? You're flying, you don't know what the wind is. I mean, you know, it wasn't that long ago where we really didn't know what the wind was, right? right. You know, now, and now we have, well, we, if we don't have some kind of air data computer in the airplane, we can look up the wind as we're flying, you know, with the ADSB weather and get the winds aloft and this kind of thing. But it wasn't that long ago where we didn't have any of that capability. Which the wind was a complete guess. So they're designed with a lot of leeway on that. However, I'd say, I mean, if you have, if you have a good idea of the wind, yeah, I'd, I'd fly it with an estimate of what, heading I needed to make that ground track. If I, if I know my ground track because I've got a, you know, a GPS on board, then there's no reason you shouldn't fly that exact ground track. But it's designed for, to allow for a lot of slop on, on either side, of course. Great. And, that, and that's an important point, I think, because a lot of times that's one of the things we discuss during any instrument procedure is, you know, not hitting the ground, not bumping into things. And one of the things that, that helps us is knowing that we have those protections. And in this case, yes, we have those protections. So you, you're not expected to actually put in that wind correction. Of course, if you're using a GPS or an FMS system or some other type of system, it's going to it's gonna correct that for you. So this is awesome. I, I really, Russ, I'm, I'm so glad you wrote this. And this is such a help because, you know, you look at these and you say to yourself, well, what is that? And, uh, you know, a, a lot of us that, that fly with GPSs and FMSs, it's no big deal. But uh, if you're flying an airplane, like, you know, some of the planes that I've flown, not too distant past, I mean, it's you know, we, we don't have all that stuff in the airplane. Our FMS isn't working. Or our GPS isn't, isn't working because it's not in the airplane. And uh, it's nice to know that we have this in, in the chart, and it's great a great discussion. So that was awesome. Great article. Thanks for bringing that up, Russ. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions from people and some comments, so please uh, write to us at contact at stuckmikeavcast.com. Uh, Russ is uh, – what is the – that is the CFI – Russ at blogspot or cfirust.blogspot.com is where they can find that. We'll have it in yeah, the show correct. notes, actually. That, right, that'd probably right. be the easiest thing to say. Just go to the show notes and we'll link to it. And it's Tuck Mike Afcast, episode 138. Well, great. Awesome discussion there, Russ. Uh, let's see. We have one more topic, and then we have to close out here. Is uh, is actually in from Larry. Uh, Larry, I think you actually brought up a great point, especially uh, prescient 
this time of year. So, Larry, what what is the next topic we're going to talk about here? Sure. So we, you know, we, we were, earlier we were talking about you know Sun and Fun and, and Oshkosh and all the great air shows that are coming up across the country this year. Um, but for some of us up here in the colder climate areas, we might be a little rusty. Um, that may not apply to some of you who are down in Lakeland and expecting sunny and 75 this coming weekend. Uh, but for the rest of us, um, I, you know, I know for myself, I've been out of the uh, pilot's uh, chair for you know a couple of months. And I may, and I have to even look right now, I may or may not be current for carrying passengers. Um, I am IFR current, but I may not be IFR proficient, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm starting to think about, boy, I want to go to this air show. I want to, you know, get up in the air, take some friends up, go for a $100 hamburger, whatever it is, as soon as the weather breaks, because I'm so you know, stuck here at my house and I can't go flying, right? And you get excited about it. You start to think about it. Um, but that first flight of the season for some of us, um, you know, it's an important flight and you're, you're a bit rusty. Um, and so I wanted to talk just a little bit about what do you do before you head out to the airport to get your head back in the game? Um, for myself, when I can't fly, um, I like to go and find you know one of my local airports that has a, a you know a Redbird or something you know some other kind of sim, and spend some time in that and get some approaches in, get some holds in, and just you know kind of keep myself in the game every you know couple of months or so. Um, but I know for some of my friends, you know they'll go back and do some reading, maybe review the ACS, uh, and think about you know it, it, kind of think about the spring as as almost a new. Um, uh, you know, not not an official flight review, but a, at least a flight review for yourself. Um, taking a look at the the POH, you know, for the airplane that you fly most often, and sort of remember, oh yeah, that's what those speeds are, and that's what you know the emergency procedures are, and so forth. So, you know, I guess my question to toss out to the group is sort of like, what is that first flight going to be? Um, it could be as simple as three landings, and you're good to go. You know, um, or do you want to do something that's a little bit more structured? Um, and some of the things that I'm thinking about are slow flight, stalls, short field takeoffs and landings, uh, ground reference maneuvers. Um, and then do I want to go up by myself or do I want to take an instructor along? Uh, if I am current for taking passengers, you know, with 90 days and so forth, uh, do I want to maybe take a pilot friend or not? Um, what kind of thought goes into that first flight? Uh, and so I'll, I'll toss that out to the group. But I, whatever whatever people are doing, I guess I would just encourage people to take some time and thought as to how they want to re-enter the air after, you know, maybe some of us uh, who don't fly so much in the wintertime have been uh, a little rusty instead of just heading out to the airport and blasting off to drill holes in the sky. So, so maybe for the three of you, you know, what, what do you recommend to students? What, you know, and I realize some of you live in warmer, pla warmer places than I do. Um, but, uh, you know, what do you do? What do you recommend that, that people do, you know, even, even uh, uh, seasoned pilots, but who have been out of the air for a little bit, maybe due to the weather. Gosh, Larry, that's I, a that's a great question, and uh, you know, it's it's not just seasoned pilots have been out of flying for a while in a uh, airplane. Maybe I've been like myself have been flying a lot, but getting back into the airplane uh, after you know not flying a say a single engine for a while. I know uh, Tom Frick and I went up uh, after a while of me being out of the. Uh, the flying a small airplane, and it took me a while to find out where the heck that runway was down there. Uh, I know Tom remembers that well, but uh, that's a it's a great discussion. But that would uh, that that's something that I think 
is really important is what are those first things you do? And I know when I go from flying a certain type airplane to another, uh, there's a big difference between, you know, the 200-seater and the four-seater that I fly. There's uh, a transition, and if I haven't been flying the four-seater, I need to really think about it. And I personally, I like to bring a flight instructor. I think it's about 196 seats, Carl. 196? Why is 196? You know, well, you said between the 200-seater and oh the four-seater. Oh, my gosh. What's, what's the wow. difference? Wow, wow. Little, little math, little dude, math problem dude, for you there. we are not doing math tonight. You know how I've been with math all night. I couldn't figure out how many hosts we had. <laughs> oh, Thanks. Oh, you're killing me, Larry. Oh, my. Uh, you had to go there, too, didn't he, you? He really did. He really did. <laughs> uh, but, but Sorry about that. No, 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 that's good. It's a good reference because, it again, just, just thinking about we, small We lost half the listeners I, right there. I know we did. We had a discussion as to how many hosts we had on tonight, and I, I said, you know three or something like that and there's there's not three there's four anyway so moving on the how about how about you uh tom since i mentioned you uh in in what i was doing as far as getting back into the uh airplane after being rusty you know what is it you recommend and then uh, then we'll go to russ how's that sound sure you know and and i, I want to preface this with that you know i'm, I'm blessed with where we live and uh, i don't have to spend a, a lot of time not flying as a matter of fact since uh, let's see, since I've gotten my private pilot certificate, I think the longest I've gone without flying is like 10 days. Wow. And, and I, I wanted to hire a CFI. I thought 10 days was a long time. So I can't even imagine sitting through a winter time without, you know, with or, or a stretch of really bad weather where you can't get up in the air and, and go fly and the things you have to do to wrap your head around that. And, and what Larry was suggesting was all things that I was doing. Um, along those times is, you know, uh, I, I have a small little sim at home. I mean, it's just basic yoke pedal, swap throttle quadrant, you know, um, and, uh, you know, just running on a single screen computer. And even that was just enough that 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 whole idea of keeping your head in the game. And, um, you know, I suggest that to students when they come back too, because what I do run into is a lot of rusty pilots who have been out of the, out of the cockpit for um, extended periods of time, you know, from a year or two all the way up to 15, 20 years. And, um, you know, there's all different levels of people that want to get back into flying, um, you know, a completely different topic, you know, with, uh, you know, with basic med and third class medical reform, I'm starting to see more and more people asking about what they need to do to get, get going again. And, and it encompasses all of those things of, of um, you know, learning the aircraft that you're going to fly, learning the type of flying that you're going to be doing, how to go back in and do the maneuvers, how to set the maneuvers up. Why do we need even to learn the maneuvers and, and taking off landing and, and everything that goes in between and how do you wrap your head back around it so that you're proficient when you get in the plane and um, you're not caught with uh, things happening real fast and like, uh Oh, what do we do now? You know, cause that's not the place for that to happen. So um, it, it is a degradable skill. That's that's the point here is is that when you sit for a while, you, you, we have a skill that's definitely degradable. And what can I do to sharpen that back up again? And and Larry makes a great point with all of those suggestions. Tom, you said I think you had the formula. I can't remember if it was you that it. There's like the number of hours that you need to get recurrent compared sure. to the number of years. Yeah, sure. And, and it's it's a basic formula, and uh, it's not my formula. It was uh, it was done. I think it might even be an FAA thing. I think I read it out of a biennial flight review book. Uh, either way, it was a, a one year of ground and one year of flight training for every year that you're, or one hour of each for every year you're away from flying. And and like I said, it's a basic formula, but it's it's held pretty true for the guys I've been getting back in. I've had a couple of guys that are uh, 
you know, superstars and we'll, we'll end up getting right back into it on, underneath that. I've had a few that have gone through it and it's taken a little longer than that, you know, cause they start realizing, wow, I, I really do have a lot to learn here. So it, it's different for everybody, but the basic formula is one hour of ground, one hour of flight for every year away from the cockpit. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, Russ, how about you? Uh, what is, what is your suggestion as far as somebody who's getting back into flying after a while, sending it out? Well, I don't think I really have a whole lot of, of ex, you know, extra information to add that hasn't already been said. I mean, certainly the, the longer you've been out, the more your skills have degraded. And, you know, we all see this, you know, I, I haven't always been a, uh, you know, a very active flight instructor like I am now, you know, before I was a flight instructor, there were certainly there'd be a couple of months where I wouldn't fly much or at all. Uh, you know, maybe not quite like, uh, living in Wisconsin, Larry, you know, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, so I guess my first recommendation, you know, for solving it in problem, Russ. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the best way to solve this problem is to move south, I guess. But uh, if that's not uh, feasible, then uh, yeah, picking an instructor to go with is certainly an excellent idea. As an instructor, of course, I would certainly uh, you know recommend that. Um, but at the very minimum, don't you know, don't not have flown for eighty nine days and uh, then you know take your family on a you know cross country trip to you know, Florida or something. So, you know. At least go out, do some maneuvers. You know, it, you know, if you have a, a good buddy you like to go fly with, you know, have someone to look at you. Even if they're not an instructor, that's still better than nothing. Uh, you know, just do the the like you mentioned the the slow fly, the steep turns, the stalls, the, all the. You can just just pick up the private pilot PTS or you know whatever level you're you're rated at and see. Can I do? most of these things, you know, still, that'd be a good idea. And then of course, obviously brushing up on your, your landings. Cause uh, that certainly is one of the, uh, the first things to go, but, but yeah, all good, all good comments from everybody. I think, you know, Larry, you mentioned one other thing I think we didn't uh, speak towards. So sorry about that. You also asked about IFR currency and I think you obviously have to start with your basic VFR currency and get your landings, et cetera, back. But the IFR is a really degradable skill. And that's something that, you know, even I'm away from work, say, for two weeks, three weeks, and I haven't shot an ILS or done, you know, an ARC or something like that. I really, you know, I have to concentrate a little bit more. It's just I'm not at the top of my game. Uh, so one of the things that I like to do, especially when I'm getting back into flying IFR, is fly approaches in my head, first of all, on a piece of paper, uh, you know, on an iPad, just go through it. And then if, if I have a chance, if I can find a simulator either on my computer, is just go ahead and fly those. And if I really am rusty, uh, I admit to the instructor and I say, hey, come on, we're going to go do some approaches. Can we do them in the sim first? Uh, bang some out. When we're proficient there, I want to get into the airplane. Um, but uh, just curious, before we move on to the next thing, uh, as far as IFR proficiency, I was wondering, uh, you know, Tom and and Russ, do you do you see this as something that uh, you find is is a good idea? And uh, how do you get people back up to to you know their skills as as far as IFR flying? Do you first, if they haven't flown in a while, do you first do VFR and then do you do IFR? Russ, I'll let you answer that first. Well, if they haven't flown anything in a while, certainly, yeah, we would start with VFR. I had this situation a year or two ago where the he just plain and simple hadn't done much flying at all in the past two years. So we brushed up the VFR stuff first, took a couple flights to do that. Then we then we worked on the IFR flights, took probably three flights maybe to get that stuff back up. But uh, because that is harder, like you mentioned, that does degrade faster. Um, what we can certainly do in the downtime when you're not flying, if you know you're not going to be flying IFR for a while, 
it, IFR is mostly a head game, right? I mean, it's it, you know, the basic skills of straight and level, you know, are they, they're difficult to get. But once you get them, I mean, yeah, that's that's not the hardest thing about instrument flying because the head game stuff is the situation awareness, keeping your mind in. So what you can do is, you know, read things about instrument flying, do things like listen to this podcast, right? <laughs> um, you know, keep your head in the game. You know. It's not, I wouldn't call it study. It's, you know, you read the articles in, in the flying uh, magazines uh, that have to do with instrument flight. Just keeping those uh, brain cells activated really helps a lot for, for people getting back in the game. Uh, but even once you get to that point, for most general aviation instrument pilots, it's really hard to maintain currency. And I'm talking, you know, the, the ones that are mostly flying for fun, you know, hobby pilots and such. Uh, heck, it's a hard, it's hard for me to maintain instrument currency as a flight instructor where I am because, well, the clouds around here are usually either icy or thunderstormy. So that neither of those is particularly good. Um, so, so it's hard. So the best idea there is to set up a recurring training with, uh, with your flight instructor. Uh, my favorite example of that is, is one guy I'm working with, uh, I've been working with him for several years. We have set up, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, we meet every two months and we go out and do at least two approaches, you know, plus whatever else we need to do, you know, emergencies or that kind of thing. That way he's VFR current, you know, and proficient. He's at least the basic of IFR currency getting you know, two every two months, gives you that six every six months, plus whatever other flying he does. Uh, we schedule that regardless of what he's been flying or not. We've got things booked out to 2018 somewhere. So for me, uh, in my own flying, that's something that I am going to try to do myself because if I don't set it up on the schedule, I will never get it done. And yes, as a flight instructor, I'm in the air all the time, but I'm not f- handling the controls very often. And I mean, Tom will agree with that. You know, mostly we're we're teaching, we're sitting there going along for a ride, getting a you know beautiful scenery, but we're not doing a whole lot of flying. So that's something that I'm going to try to set up too on a recurring basis with uh, some flight instructors I know. Because if you don't set it up, you'll never get it done. And Tom, how about you? Uh, what is it you do for the uh, um, you know IFR currency when someone's been out totally from flying and then they want to be IFR current when they walk out the door? Yeah, and and you know what what Russ said was was spot on, and it's the same thing. I had a I had a recent student the same way. Um, he actually never even made it to his instrument. He got his private. He um, started on his instrument, got I don't know six or seven lessons in, and then um, decided to finish out his. Um, college education and, and did that. Well, it took him the better part of two years. And then he showed back up again and, and wanted to pick up with his instrument and, and almost to his uh, first flight review. And, and it was, it was starting all back over just VFR. Let's go back through, let's do the maneuvers. Let's learn how to fly the airplane again. Um, cause he hadn't even been in an airplane in that amount of time. And then we're going to start picking up with his, um, with his IFR stuff again. And, um, that was one instance. I had another one, um, was a, um, um, uh, a pilot who um, was a career pilot, uh, 25,000 hours, um, had a medical issue, um, had to sideline for a while, overcame the medical issue, and then uh, came to see me. And, and he was adamant about, you know, well, I, I want to just do a little bit of VFR stuff first and then just start pounding approaches. I want my scan back. I want to be able to do all this stuff so that, you know, when I go back to sim training before I go back into the plane, that, it, that I'm good to go. And, and 
the to to watch somebody who who knew what they needed to do was was the other end of the spectrum there. And it's the same thing. It's it's that critically important to just go back to the basics, and 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 a basic IFR instrument scan to get that um, picture back and and what it is you're trying to control because um, that's what's good. That's what you're going to lose first. And and it, it's part of that degradable skill that I was talking about. Interesting. Well, you know, another thing that we can do, and I, I always suggest this, is if you're getting back into flying, why not do a level of the wings? Get your wings at fasafety.gov. FA Safety Program has a really cool program where uh, it'll get you back current again, It's uh, and it also will give you a, a something to shoot for, and it helps because you, if you get involved in the wings program, you can constantly move forward in the different levels, and uh, and you get a little plaque, and sometimes you get a little button, so the, or a pin, I should say. So it's really really cool. FAAsafety.gov. If you finish a level of wings, that also counts as a flight review too. Uh, so that's another thing you can do to help you out. Lots of good stuff on there, and it's all free. Well, guys, this has been great discussion. I really appreciate uh, everything we've I've learned tonight, and. Uh, uh, just, I'm sure the listeners, if you're out there and you want to ask questions about some of the things we talked about, contact at uh, stuckmikeavcast.com or just go to the website and uh, click on the contact there. Our picks of the week. Now we can move on to our picks of the week. And our first pick of the week is actually me. Uh, the uh, first pick of the week is something that's, uh, you know, I love to uh, meld two different things that I love. I, I love islands. I love living on islands. I'm actually on an island right now as we're speaking. And uh, one of the shows that I love to watch on TV is called Island Life on HGTV. Well, they had this really cool episode. They were in Isla Mirada, and uh, one of the there was a couple looking for a home in the Keys, which, I mean, it's a beautiful place already. But imagine living in this incredible paradise, tropical paradise, amazing skies, incredible diving, snorkeling, and uh, just beautiful nature, and then having an airport home. Well, this this episode, and I give hats off to HGTV, the realtor was showing these people different homes, but also included a home that was on an airport called Tavern Arrow in the Florida Keys. And it's actually on Isla Mirada. It's right before you get to the to the next island. It's on the creek. I think it's Tavari Creek or what? I don't know how to say it, but uh, it's really neat because... You're sitting there looking at these islands and these island homes, and then they come across this little airport. What a cool community. Imagine landing, pulling up to your hangar, putting it inside, and then jumping in your boat, which is just maybe a, you know, 100 yards away, and going fishing right away. That's the ultimate in living. And uh, it was something that just incre- it was just so inspirational for me uh, to watch this. I have a link, by the way, in the show notes. Check it out at HGTV, that actually specific episode. It's over on Amazon.com. Uh, I have that link, but you can also find it, I think, in Netflix. And, and also, if you have HGTV on your, uh, on your TV, you can probably find it that way. On their website, uh, HGTV.com, you can find it too. So that's my pick of the week. It just uh, was this wonderful little episode, and I just it was one of my favorite. It is my favorite episode, and uh, I won't give it away, but uh, they made an interesting choice when they decided to actually uh, own their home there in the Keys. Anyway, uh, on the next one, the uh, Russ, what is your pick of the week? Well, my pick of the week, Carl, is uh, not a new book at all. Uh, it's it's a book by author Stephen Kuntz, 
who is, you know, he's best known for, for fiction, you know, aviation fiction books, Flight of the Intruder and such. Uh, but he wrote a book called The Cannibal Queen uh, back in, uh, I think it was 1992 he wrote the book, or now about 99. But it was about a trip he took in the summer of 91 uh, where he flew a biplane, <laughs> a uh, steerman, around, I mean, he did like two laps of the U.S., you know, different parts of it. You know, took a few months off during the summer and just flew all over the U.S. I mean, it really, uh, a, I think, a dream trip for probably most of us, you know, to be able to just just get out there and fly and you end up wherever you end up. And uh, and, that, and that's where you go. But he, the the book is, is really interesting for a couple reasons. One, he traveled, he covered so much ground and he writes about these little airports he stopped at and, you know, the towns nearby. And since he covered so much ground, it's almost a guarantee that anybody who reads this book knows some of these towns and airports. I mean, there were several and they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. So plus – it was written in 91 or it was about, I should say the flight occurred in 91. So, you know, if, if you've been flying for about that amount of time and I started flying in 93, um, some of the references and all nowadays, you know, might seem a little dated, you know, to, you know, flight service and this kind of stuff, uh, you know, back how it used to be, but, um, you know, going in to see a weather briefer, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but it was, it was kind of, kind of took me back a little bit of nostalgia, even for me. And, you know, so, you know, 91 to, to most, I think of us doesn't really seem that long ago, but man, that was 26 years ago now. Right. So, so, you know, no, I know. So, so a little bit of nostalgia Speak there I for guess. yourself. Hey, okay. <laughs> but, uh, so it, it was an interesting book. It, it was well-written. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't think he has any other nonfiction books out, although it's possible. But but it was interesting reading a, a nonfiction book from a primarily fiction author and seeing what he did with it. So, you know, there, there were some parts in there that really reflected, you know, the, the times. There were, you know, a very little bit of, you know, political-type commentary, I think. So it was interesting to, to look back at what things were important in 91, I guess. <laughs> but a good book, uh, The Cannibal Queen. Uh, by Stephen Koontz, and we'll have the link. Uh, you know, it's on Amazon and at your library and everywhere else. I assume we'll have a link in the show notes. Awesome, Ross. I think you just sold me on that one. That is too cool. Just to to go back to those times. And by the way, uh, some of our listeners right now weren't even born then. Uh, but I know. Uh, <laughs> That's great, though, isn't it? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's great. It's a great history book. So if you're interested in some history and to learning about uh, the way things were back in 91, gosh, that doesn't seem that long ago. Anyway, uh, so I'm feeling very old right now, Russ. Moving on to... <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Larry, <laughs> what, what is your pick of the week? Oh, my pick of the week. So I, I'm going to start to sound like a bit of a broken record here, talking about all the air shows coming up, uh, Sun and Fun and Oshkosh and so forth. But uh, if you if you can't tell, I'm really looking forward to you know each of them and also to some of the other uh, air shows that uh, we go in, uh, we go to or fly-ins that we go to during the course of the year. Um, but uh, one little tip here I wanted to pass along is that uh, if if you are in the northern climes and you're feeling a little bit you know cold, maybe a little bit blue, you miss you miss flying as much as you want to. Um, a good way to kind of get a little bit of a shot in the arm is to go out to the website for your favorite air show and see if you can just buy your wristband and camping passes now. Um, you can do that for Sun and Fun. You can do that for Oshkosh, and I know you can do that for some of the other shows that are out there. And just knowing that I've already bought my wristband 
puts my you know head in a whole different place. Um, I've got a much better attitude for the next couple months, knowing I've got my wristband for Sun and Fun or for Oshkosh or whatever you know air show I'm able to go to. So we'll we'll put a couple links up in the show notes. But uh, think about going and buying your tickets now. And uh, many of the shows offer a discount for early purchase. So there's even a little bit of financial reason to go do it. Uh, in addition to just feeling good. Well, awesome. I can't wait to see you there, Larry. And uh, that's a great advice. Get your tickets early. And there are a lot of discounts. Even at local FBOs, you'll see people selling them. So uh, good stuff. Great stuff, Larry. And yes, I am very excited. And you're not sounding like a broken record. I can't wait to see everybody there. Uh, anyway, next pick of the week is Tom. Tom, what's your pick of the week? Yeah, so I um, was listening to the conversations today about, you know, staying current, getting current, or even just learning how to fly. So uh, I thought I'd give a shout out to our friend Jason Shepard and uh, his uh, website, groundschoolacademy.com, um, complete online ground school for uh, commercial, um, instrument, private. And um, he uh, has a guarantee that if uh, you fail your check ride, he'll pay for it if you go through his course. And uh, I, don't, I think he's only paid for one in the entire time that uh, he's been doing all this. So um, he's got really good stuff there. Um, I, I've had students go through and just do his um, refresher courses for getting flight reviews and things like that. So uh, lots of good stuff that's there. That's um, powered by his website, which is m0a.com. But uh, groundschoolacademy.com is, is his website. Go check him out. Great, uh, great website, and I tell you, there's a, a lot of people that I work with coaching uh, Aviation Careers podcasts that I send there, especially if you're going to a lot of those accelerated programs. They'll bang out all the written exams on that, that website there. They really do enjoy that. I haven't been through the program, but uh, I've heard of some great results. So, again, Ground School Academy will have that in the show notes. Also, uh, we've also been including in all the different episodes. Check out the website, uh, Stuck Mike Avcast, episode 138, is a video of the week, and actually the person who picked this out was Tom. So, Tom, did did you want to describe uh, the video of the week this week? Okay, so uh, yeah, if you use the one that I uh, that I <laughs> that I suggested, then uh, so uh, it, it's actually with uh, Victoria, and she's not here with us tonight, so we can talk about her. And what I was thinking was, is Victoria had put uh, a video together or a release one uh, that she had taken of um, toilet paper cutting. They were in a Piper Cub and released a roll of toilet paper and we're doing basically lazy eights to come back and, and use the wing to clip through the chunks of toilet paper to, to, to cut them. And it was a real good exercise in, in, uh, control of the aircraft and, and, and the video was done really well. It's, it's a pretty neat perspective of, you know, just some of the maybe little fun things that you can do to, um, you know, improve performance and improve your, uh, your flying abilities. Um, I, I thought it was a real cool clip and I thought it'd be great to share as a video of the week. Yeah, it is. It's an actually a really cool. I think the title is "Video of the Toilet Paper Dogfight" is what it's called. And uh, and by the way, if you have a video you want to suggest uh, for the podcast or a pick of the week, remember this is a podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. So remember, if it fulfills one of those three, we want to put it on here. So uh, so send us your your suggestions for the video of the week. Would love to hear from you. The after landing checklist. Well, gosh, this is uh, this has been awesome. Some great discussion, and I hope you've learned something. I hope we've been able to entertain you a little bit and give you some great advice. Uh, remember, always, uh, you know, go out to your flight instructor if you if you want to get current. You know, we're not doing flight instructing here, but we are trying to promote those out there that help people become current 
and teach people how to fly and become better pilots. So uh, find your flight instructor, somebody who's in your local town or wherever you might be visiting. Remember, there's flight instructors. They're all throughout the country. And say, hey, I just want to go up and do some landings. I want to get current. Really important stuff to get current. And uh, it's really important to do the best job you can when you're flying. Uh, also, the uh, as far as the, the websites, the links, and everything we talked about, just go to the show notes. It's at uh, episode 138. Well, folks, we really appreciate your coming and listening to us uh, today. We appreciate all of our listeners out there. And uh, we can't wait to talk to you in the next episode. Most importantly, fly safe, fly often, and enjoy being up there in the sky. Talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.